Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about season four, episode seven, The Initiative. And I always get really excited every time we get to an episode seven because as you guys all know, they are kind of the pivotal turning point for the season. It's kind of the point where we stop talking about everything that happened the season before and start talking about the arc that's coming. It's kind of where usually the big bad is revealed or the main uh conflict for the season is revealed. Um, But I kind of have mixed feelings about this one. What did you guys think about it? I Thank you for opening that segue, Sarah. Um, Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) I I think I've mentioned this before on the pod, but in my brain, there's about three or four episodes a season that I categorize as everything happens in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, That would be this one. And I'm always genuinely surprised that that episode keeps going. And I'm like, oh, oh, we're getting that in this episode? Oh, Oh, we're getting that? Like, this is one of those episodes for me and season four specifically. Like there's some really good episodes, especially coming up that are just mm-hmm. all about one big thing and they tackle it really well. And then usually there's some things that coincide with it. We'll talk about it when they, when we come to it. Um, and they do a really good job because they kind of stick to one major thing and they just really drive it home. Whereas this episode not bad. I think I thought it was a lot worse than it was in my head. And I went in and I was like, okay, you know what? Yeah, when I, I see the title, the initiative, I, I think, Ugh. but like there were, I think the reason why it's not bad is because it's not all one thing, which is what I was trying to say. My brain is very scattery today, but there's lots of different things that happen in this episode. It's one of my, everything happens in this episode for the season. And, um, when those things pop up in the episode, we'll talk about them, but it, <laughs> it just kept going. And I was like, it did. Oh my, it felt like an hour and a half. I feel like I was writing so many notes because I was like, oh, shoot, we're talking about this right now. And then I was like jotting down so much. And then it was skipped something else. And I was like, oh, my word, can we take a breather? But anyway, I didn't I didn't dislike it. I thought it was good. It was better than I thought it was. And I'm excited to talk about some things that I normally wouldn't be like giving a thumbs up about. So very nice summarization tabs. I admire you. your restraint and not talking about specifics. <laughs> <laughs> well, because there's a lot I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to talk about specifics. I will say – as far as like mid-season kind of pivotal episodes go, I feel like this one is a little all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just – because there's a lot of episodes in Buffy where I'm like, there's so much happening, but it doesn't feel chaotic. Yeah. This one yep. feels chaotic. Like it doesn't feel like – it actually has a flow to it. It just – it feels like there was a list of things that Joss Whedon or whoever was given of like <laughs> yeah. all this stuff needs to be in the episode and they just kind of like Jenga fit it together. Everything felt like it was slightly before the natural progression should have been. Yes. yes. And so there are good stuff about this episode but I feel like – but I also just feel like that's season four. Season four is mm-hmm. so like yeah. just discombobulated. There's so much going on. Like – it's just this season is it's chaotic. It really is. And so I guess this episode is a good representation of the season. But that's interesting because I feel like this is a you just sparked something in me. I feel like this is a good 
representation of season four, this episode itself. It has like seven storylines all in one, not all good, not all bad. And I think it's worse than it actually is. And so when I watch it, I'm pleasantly surprised because I'm like, I'm thinking going in being like, oh, the initiative based on its title. And I'm like, it's going to be like all one thing and it's not. And they're giving me more, but ones that don't really necessarily go together. Ones that like kind of seem like not fully fledged out. Ones that seem way too like too much tension at it. So it's just <sighs> it feels like if I were to explain season four, I feel like this would be a good episode because there's some really good stuff in it. There's some really mid stuff in it, and there's some stuff that's like sure. Yeah, I feel like that's season four in a nutshell. And I think that everybody already knows that up until this point. I mean, we had freaking Beer Bad, Where the Wild Things Are. But then we also have, you know, gems like The Harsh Light of Day and Fear Itself. And then The Freshman the is freshman. good. And, you know, yeah, obviously Living Conditions is hilarious. So I feel like we have just kind of been all over the place. I think the thing that we're all really struggling with is that there has been so much attention and focus on things like Where the Wild Things Are, all about Oz, and then uh, Beer Bad, which is all about like Buffy getting over Parker, and then all of a sudden this. So it feels like the show did a complete 180 versus in past seasons. It feels like they've done a really nice, smooth, gradual transition into the seventh episode where it's like, okay, the show is now ready to move forward into the next big thing. And this one, it was like time to bring in the big thing for this episode or this season, you know? All right, so let's talk about it for a minute. Written by Douglas Petrie, directed by James A. Contner, aired November 16th, 1999. The working title for this episode was Secret Agent Man, but the writers thought it'd be a giveaway to the revelation about Riley. And I was about I, to say, I, I was like, yeah. I do got to say, I do got to say, they definitely like pulled one over on me, did not see Riley coming at all. And for a while there, I was like a little bit like, oh man, should I have seen that coming? I'm like, nope. Riley's been in five scenes. There's been absolutely no hints. I should not feel bad about that at all. He's water dude. There's no way he'd be in the military. <laughs> I, thought he was, I for sure thought he was going to be part of it. First of all, he was the only character that kept coming up that we were like, where's your place in the show? Um, also, he screams military man. He walks. It's the walk. Everything the about walk. him. It's like stiff walk. The minute we saw like the soldiers mm -hmm. and like all that, I was like, oh, it's something to do with Riley. No, it, it started out – no, it was the misogynistic immediate conversation in the beginning of the episode that really did it for me. I was like, ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay. We know what's happening here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, and there's Riley. <laughs> Hey, to his credit, he did not. No, I'm not talking about Riley. I'm just talking about the conversation in general. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll get there. All right, let me finish the introduction. <laughs> so, the other big thing about this episode is Spike is officially part of the cast. This is his first episode that he is taking Seth Green's place in the credits, which is kind of a huge deal. But also, I don't feel like it's a surprise to anyone because if. If you are not familiar with the show and you're just watching it for the first time, I think it's impossible to miss Spike on like all the merchandise and stuff. So it's pretty obvious that like yeah. he was going to come back and be a big part of the show. Yeah. So, well, I thought at first I thought you were saying like when the first when the show first came out, it's like surprising that he was like came back. I was like, uh, no, <laughs> disagree. Like I did yeah, no, not I think he was going to make it into the main title sequence ever. That was oh. a shock to me. So Joss Whedon was glad that James Marsters agreed to join the show full time because he felt that Charisma Carpenter having moving to having moved to Angel, the show lacked a character who was openly rude to other characters. <laughs> he described it as having that awkward neighbor that is like, "Hi, can I borrow a cup of sugar?" and insults you. <laughs> 
Honestly, it brings what? such a, like a, a fun little taste to the show. I always appreciate when there's a character like that. I just think it's funny that Joss is like, we need someone that's just rude to Buffy. Because I'm like, don't we have Xander for that? <laughs> no, seriously. Or don't we have like all of her friends for that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> None of them believe her. It's like, can we get someone who's actually nice to Buffy for once? <laughs> yeah, Considering right. took Angel, the one character who was. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Riley's for, Leah. And they sure make a contrast with him in this episode. Okay, hey, so man, j- man. <laughs> Riley. <laughs> James Marstard said, what changed Joss's mind about bringing me back is he needed a new Cordelia. He needed a character to come in and tell Buffy, you're stupid. We're all about to die. Cordelia went off to the Angel spinoff, so they made a character to fill those shoes. Joss told me that Sarah actually said, what about Spike? Joss thought for a second and said, that might work. So it was actually Sarah. It was her idea to bring Hmm. Spike on back for the show, which is kind of cool. Season four is good for Spike. I like him. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Tabby's face. I was really trying to, to formulate those words in my head. I was like, you know what? We'll just go with what I want to say. I feel like season At four this is hard point because, in time. like, this season has been hard for us because a, it's the first season we've had without spoilers section, but also b, like, <laughs> yeah, we're this season like is is a transitional season, so there's yeah. a lot of setup for the next few seasons, yep. and we and can't we talk about any of it because we don't it. have yep. the spoilers section so it's like i feel like we're like newbies again we have to like relearn how to not say and things. i you know what i'm gonna do from now on i'm literally just gonna give myself like time and energy just be like for this episode i'm giving it either a thumbs up for certain <laughs> people and their <laughs> does it mean lines. you have to give a blanket approval for the rest of the no, series no i'm just for the episode i'm gonna be like okay good thumbs up uh, that's yeah. all I'm going to give. And then it's just we're just going to have to go episode by episode because there's like so much that we all know leads into other different things. And it's not exactly I will what say they're like, setting up now. But. What got me through season four, which is so funny because it's not a bad season, but just like yeah. in comparison. <laughs> Keep having to caveat what, it. I know. I feel so bad. It, it's not a bad uh, – whatever. People understand. What kept my interest in season four when I first watched this was like – 100% totally. it was Spike. And so I think that bringing him back was a really, really intelligent decision. So David Fury said that bringing Spike back was not something that Joss knew he was going to do. It's something that sort of came out of a lot of different things, including staff suggestions, Marty's influence, and things Joss recognized long before things aired that he felt weren't working as well as he hoped. And how do we mix things up? What could we do that would be really cool and surprising? The great idea was to bring Spike back and make him part of the Scooby gang. So this episode is similar to Wild at Heart in that it's not really about Buffy. Like now, This is now two episodes, which is not really very focused on Buffy. It's actually about Riley and Spike of all people, which is why I think I struggle with this episode. Um, one of the reasons why and why I think a lot of other people struggle with it as well. The episode is isn't a bad one. It's highly entertaining, but it mostly just sets up a bunch of stuff without showing a full arc, which makes it kind of frustrating to talk about. And like you guys talked about, it's just kind of an information dump, you know, and it feels kind of heavy handed and not very organic. So let's talk about Mark Blucas for a quick second. Um, Initially, when he was signed on, he was only supposed to be on the show for three episodes. They did not have a plan for him 
beyond that, it was more of like, hey, let's see how it works with him and Sarah Michelle Geller. And then if it goes past that, then it does. Um, so apparently his third episode was beer bad. So him drinking that water in the bar was what solidified him as Buffy's romantic interest, which I don't know like why that one scene was what What person was like, mm, yes, this is I it. No, I don't know. Um, Marty Noxon's the one that named Riley, and she actually named him after her black Labrador retriever, Finn. So his name Riley Finn. Very, very funny. Very much a lab. I feel like he's got lab energy. Mark Lucas's first acting job was on the Whoopi Goldberg movie, Eddie. He was actually a professional basketball player and was preparing to go to law school at the time. And his college sports information director called him and said, hey, this movie that's filming near us needs a white kid that can play basketball. So he auditioned and decided that acting is what he wanted to do, which is kind of crazy. Um when he auditioned for the role on Buffy, he did really well the first time, and then he got called back, and it was supposed to be like his screen read with Sarah Michelle Gellar, and there was another guy there that was also auditioning, and Mark Lucas – I think he talks about how like he like pulled his back or did something like – that made him just not feel great. And so he was having to prop himself up against a wall the entire time that he was auditioning. And he was like, I did not do a good job. And he walked out of there like, I blew that. I'm not going to get a call back. And within minutes, Joss calls him and is like, hey, I know you can do better than that. I've seen you do better than that. What's going on? Mark explained what's going on. And then Joss said, okay, Sarah's going on vacation for a couple of weeks. Come back and do it again. So Mark came back, did it again, and he got the part, which is kind of crazy because even Mark Lucas says, that doesn't happen in Hollywood. If you mess up one time, like there are no second chances. So it's kind of crazy that Joss saw something in him that was like, this is Riley. He says his favorite part of playing the role is the fact that the staff and the people that he works with are really, really fun. He talks about how the best part of the job is that he feels like whether or not he gets killed off tomorrow, he'll walk away with a handful of friends. He honestly sounds like the nicest dude That's ever. That's so kind. He is I so sweet. I've seen some interviews. He is a sweetheart. He lives on a farm in Pennsylvania now or yeah, something. Yeah, he's like super kids. just like small town, like sweet. Yep. He's a really kind guy. He said that the biggest thing that surprised him about working on Buffy was the speed at which everything happened. He said, not in that we shoot seven pages a day, which we do, but that, of course, was a new thing. Um, but the speed at how fast relationships are forced or pushed or pulled or just manipulated a little bit. And so that took some time getting used to, which to be fair, he's coming in on season four. They didn't think Seth Green was going to leave. They didn't plan on bringing mm -hmm. James Marsters back. They didn't plan on making him a series regular. They didn't plan on bringing in Emma Caulfield. Like there's just a lot of shuffling the deck that's happening right now. And so like, I, I do bet it was like overwhelming. He got thrown in the fire quite a bit. He continues on and says, especially Sarah, Buffy just got out of this huge thing with Angel and then this quickie with Parker and she's been back and forth a hundred times and now trying to build something else with someone new, especially a new cast member makes it that much more of a difficult transition on everyone. So even he recognizes that this whole rom romance relationship thing that they're kind of pushing is a little rushed and is a little bit hard to manufacture. So let's talk about the themes of this episode real fast. So Douglas Petrie got his inspiration for this episode from the English TV show The Prisoner and from Anthony Burgess's book Clockwork Orange. The Prisoner is about a former Secret Service man who is held captive and referred to only as number six. Wikipedia describes the show as featuring themes including identity theft, which is a huge one for season four so far, mind control, and various forms of social indoctrination. Um, and then a major theme of the show 
the prisoner is individualism versus collectivism, which I think you can kind of see where we're heading with the initiative and Buffy. Um, and then Clockwork Orange. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you guys, but if you get the chance to, a lot of this information is from Mark Field book, Myth, Metaphor, and Morality. I highly, highly recommend it. I feel like he shed some light on this episode that I just genuinely had not even considered or thought of before. But Clockwork Orange, the book is about this guy, Alex. He's a teenage sociopath who loves brutal violence and engages in it whenever he gets the opportunity. He ends up going to prison. He undergoes a form of behavioral modification therapy and then gets sent back into the world where he struggles to adjust and gets kind of taken advantage of because he's now considered a normal guy, but he has all his old enemies that are coming back to try and hurt him. And he doesn't have any way of protecting himself because he's now been modified. And then over time, as time goes on, he slips back into his old habits. So you can kind of piece together what the initiative's mission statement is due to Maggie being a psych professor, the chip placed in Spike's head, them testing out the behavior modification, and then the operant conditioning on the demons, basically seeing if they can change people's nature versus nurture through positive or negative reinforcement. So like, you know, Maggie's always talking about controlling the id so that the ego and superego can kick in. She's trying to see if she can control these demons' demon nature so that they don't have to, for some reason, we'll see what happens. Um, Burgess, the writer of the book, uh, Clockwork Orange, he wanted to explore the moral issues involved in behavior modification, which he strongly opposed. And then Mark Field talks about how the fact that the initiative is engaged in behavioral modification, therefore, might be a clue that it's not a force for good. And I think we can kind of already guess with like little hints that they put in this episode that the whole idea of the initiative- definitely seems more morally gray. Yes, at the very least. Um, Maybe not the individual people, but the idea behind it is not something that the show is trying to portray as necessarily positive. Also, I think it's really interesting because now this chip has essentially robbed Spike of his identity, forcing him into the same identity crisis as everyone else in season four, which I thought was so clever. Um, and I'm not going to go into it because the spoiler is very, very hard, <laughs> but it's very interesting that they are paralleling Spike and Riley in this episode, like majorly. So keep that in mind as we continue on with the season and the show. So, a question that can be asked after watching this episode is Is it moral? to do things like this, to chip a vampire that is evil since he's just going to kill others? Or is this wrong because he is a sentient being? Um, Douglas Petrie talks about how there was actually a really big argument between, or like not big argument, but like a discussion between Joss and the writers. And he said, how heroic should Spike be? Douglas Petrie said, I was dead wrong because I was saying Spike was going to escape from the initiative later in the episode. And I thought, well, this is hard to do because it makes him seem heroic. And Jane Espenson at the time was saying, no, no, he should seem heroic. And I was like, no, Spike's the villain. He shouldn't seem heroic. And Joss came in and said, newsflash, he's heroic in this scene. He's gigantically heroic. He's James Bond escaping from Blofeld. So trying to paint the picture of Comparing Spike and the initiative, the initiative is the bad guy, which is really, really, really interesting. And I think if you've seen the rest of the series, it's going to have huge implications for where we're going to go later on down the line. Mark Field says, Joss is taking these three themes, identity, mind control, and social indoctrination, and is using them to raise basic questions about human identity and the extent to which we should be able to construct our own identity as part of our existential project. 
And Douglas Petrie, in summing up the episode, says, we're also trying to point out this guy, the commando, is just a guy. It's not part of Buffy's world. She's turned down the assignment of going to look for this guy because it's not supernatural. Like when she tells Giles, hey, I'm going to go help Willow. I'm not going to go look for the commando guys. And that really sets up the whole season. These guys are just human beings delving in the supernatural world. And that's not part of Buffy's world and not part of Buffy's responsibility. And that's the tension throughout the rest of the season. Season four is all about science versus magic. And as we have all seen and will continue to see, science is often coded masculine and magic is coded feminine. So you have the patriarchy versus the feminine, which is really, really fascinating. And I feel like that kind of like gives a little more insight into the episode. Not that, you know, there wasn't enough to talk about already, but so yeah, that's it. Now that I just information dumped on you guys. Good job. All right. We reached the seventh episode. This is what to expect from season five. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay. Can I can I say something? (laughs) Please. Is this something I need to cut out? Or is this like (laughs) guys, I I hate force than I've ever hated anything in my life. (laughs) I'm sorry. Really? And it's not gonna over Veruca? It's not gonna change. No, I literally can't. I'd rather have Veruca. I'm not joking. I hate him so much. Really? Yes. I don't like him either, but like over every other character. No, guys, like I <laughs> cannot stand him. Can't anything he does, the way he walks, the way he speaks, the way everything he that walks. comes out of his mouth. He walks so military too. Like I just can't. Like ev- literally everything, his smug facial expressions. Like he's so <laughs> misogynistic in this opening conversation. And like, sure, we found out later that it's supposed. It's a quote unquote supposed to be to get like Riley to confess that he likes Buffy but like can you find another tactic than objectifying Buffy and I don't think that it was fully because of that because he tells Riley that Riley has heard him say worse things before so I get the feeling that Forrest says things like this a lot and okay this is kind of jumping ahead but he seems pretty buddy buddy with Parker which is a pretty big red flag for me mm. but also even in the conversation with Parker he doesn't seem phased that like Parker's saying the stuff he's like he's like oh really like he's like feeding his like conversation about talking about Buffy like oh well, yeah so we'll much. talk about that when we get there because I have a lot to oh, say about that scene but, but okay in okay. this opening scene like yes yeah. it's funny because it like mirrors like them talking about Buffy and like him objectifying her and then she's like breaking equipment in the cafeteria and she's being so cute which is a nice distraction from what appalling things fly out of Forrest's mouth he calls her mattressable which makes me want to smack him he uses the word nubile which i've hated ever since sid the puppet said in season one also loving the diversity of every single woman being blonde and white yeah that he's objectifying (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah i just ew and uh and then Riley's like, and I, okay, I gotta say, just Riley as a character, as a person, as everything, gives a big thumbs up for me this episode. I'm not I just talking about him like punching Parker. That's, we'll get there. But like everything he does and says, I was just like, oh, sweet. Like I was like, oh, I like Riley. It just sucks to me that it feels like they are purposely making Forrest like this to, they're trying to, to show how good of Riley. a guy Riley yep. is. Yes. It feels like they're no. ramming it down what our it throats. Is. It feels like you guys ever watch a show and like their product placement is so bad that it makes you hate the fact that they're doing <laughs> the product the placement. Product placement. I was watching. What was I watching? I was watching the boys, and there's a scene where one of the characters is drinking White Claw, 
And if it's not product placement, then I don't know why the frig it was like this. But like the logo was facing like, the t- she, the, the, the logo was facing yeah. the thing. And he was like, You need a white claw? And like handed it right <laughs> to the screen, pretty much. And then she took it and like like chugged it and put it down. It was like it was like you could tell that White Claw paid money for that. Like yeah. and then it just made me be like uh, it takes me out of it. It takes me out of yeah. it when it's so obvious. Because yeah. I've seen good product placement. It's like that. It's like when something is so obvious in my face, it makes me then hate Then you it. automatically push back because you're like, I feel like I'm being forced to like something that exactly. I haven't even had the chance to determine exactly. whether I like it or not. Yes. They're like, Riley is studious and responsible. He's a TA. Look, Riley drinks water, not beer. Look, Riley literally rescues Willow from getting but run also, over by a car. Like, but also, <laughs> we could also contrast Riley being a good dude and still have the objectifying character through Parker. Why do we have to have that with yeah. Forrest, who's his like, supposed bestie, I guess? Um, I don't even know. They just hang out a lot. Yeah. Maybe it's just because they're in the initiative together. But it's like, like you can contrast that in so many different ways. Just by that one conversation with Parker, you can contrast that. Whereas you could yeah. just have Forrest talk about Buffy and being like, "Oh, like, like I think she's cute. That's fine. Like we all, like we all observe other attractive people. But when you call her mattressable, are yeah. you joking? Yeah. Like, yeah, all the qualities he's using are very like physical." things that are not just like she's really pretty she's hot like it's but it's not physical it's 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 sexual there's a difference sexual you're right yes it's not like we all have eyes like like yeah mark blucas is an objectively very attractive person like he's super cute but like if i'm sitting here and going into massive detail of all the things like i want to do to him that's disgusting like that's gross and that that goes both ways like a female or male it's like but Mm -hmm. it's the fact that i don't know anyway we all get it i feel like they made riley into the ultimate pick me like he's over here like i'm just a normal guy like doing my homework i'm just a normal like it felt like they turned him into like i'm not like other guys trope where he's not like the other military guys like he's different i didn't see that from him i saw that from the writer's perspective like well that's what i meant they were making mm. him that way. As long as his personality isn't pick me, that's fine. Yeah. I just want to be able to determine whether or not I like this guy based upon organic totally. things that are happening. And it feels totally. like the writers are just setting him up to hit a home run every time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I like the fact that it's like – I love the whole trope of like – it shouldn't be a trope. <laughs> what, am I, what am I saying? Um, I love the whole storytelling perspective of like having a, someone realize they like somebody because they just have this like – tug at their heart because they just appreciate and sure. like, respect the person. And that's definitely the vibe that I'm getting from Riley. It's like like they're doing the contrast between Forrest and Parker who objectify Buffy and only talk about her sexual parts, whereas the whole time he's rejecting that part of Buffy and only really talks about her character and like thinking she's peculiar in a very sweet way. And then at the very end is like, oh, I think she's cute. Like I'm going to ask her out. Like I love that. I, I think that that should be in way more television. But then, I, I, like you're saying, Sarah, if it's only contrasting everyone else objectifying her, I'm like, okay, <laughs> just be normal about it. Just be like, oh, we're yeah. friends. Friends to lovers trip is always cute. I love that. But it's like, I don't know. Anybody they were going to have follow up Angel was going to have a tough time. The show knew this. Yeah. The audience, the you actors, tell they're everything. Really trying. But this, this was not the way. They could have done this so much better. All right. Does Maggie do ever grade her own stuff? I know he's like grading. Riley's over here lunch. constantly yeah. doing stuff, and then I don't know. He's still trying to probe him, whatever. And then he like mentions that Buffy dated Parker for like a split second, and then Riley is like, "Well, there's a, a sign of good taste." I'm like, "No, 
some people just don't know. She's a random freshman. She doesn't know anyone. Don't make it seem like it's her fault. And I don't think that he was necessarily trying to dig at Buffy. I think that was supposed to be another indicator that he doesn't like Parker. But I was like, okay, you're towing the line there, writers. Like, yeah. this doesn't make any sense, you know? And it's like, I get it. Like, I've been a, I've been definitely somebody who's judged people based on, like, who yeah. they've been friends with yep. in the past or people they have dated because right. they're not good people. But it's like, there's a reason why they're not together anymore. There's a yeah. reason they're not friends with them anymore. And sometimes people just don't know until they know. So according to the DVD commentary, Douglas Petrie said that Forrest and Graham, the two bros that we've literally never seen with Riley ever Graham before. Graham says but I guess- one line this episode. He's mute until the very end where he's like, I'm on your side, Riley. You're like, hello? No, they're literally supposed to be his besties. I'm like, I've never even seen Riley outside of class unless he was literally just saving like Willow or not drinking beer at a bar. Like, who are these people? But we've literally seen Riley and I think like – four or five scenes. It can't be more than that up until this point. But okay, so Douglas Petrie created Forrest and Graham. They were meant to be Shakespearean sidekicks whose jobs were to tell the hero what his heart truly wants. His quote was, so it's Shakespeare with ray guns and shit. <laughs> I think saying Shakespeare I'm sorry, is a but I think Shakespeare I think Shakespeare if he saw this would roll over in his grave. He'd be offended. <laughs> yeah, that is so insult like I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Shakespeare. That is yeah. embarrassing cuz I like Shakespeare. I've read Shakespeare. I have acted in a Shakespeare play. Don't come for me. It was an idea. <laughs> but yeah, you hear that, everybody? <laughs> Leah has read Shakespeare. I know. I know. <laughs> we I all have. had to read Shakespeare. Shakespeare, so yeah. Cultured. Shakespeare is intelligent and he's interesting. Never in a million years did I watch this episode and be like, hmm, it's a little Shakespearean. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Anyway, so we watched Buffy completely drop all of her food she's so sweet i love her as forrest says lots of guys would like to get their hands on her oh my gosh let's just focus on what riley says he's like (laughs) she has a name forrest which i appreciated and he's like i don't dislike her she just never feels like she's really there when you talk to her the only time you hear though talk to her (laughs) she's very scatterbrained i love her though (laughs) The strength of the Buffyverse is its dialogue, and I hands down think that this scene might be the weakest when it comes to dialogue that we've had, like, in forever. Like, even even Beer Bad had better dialogue than this. It just felt so unnatural and forced. I think what's so funny is that we came into this episode being like, <laughs> it's not that bad. Like, I know. We actually watched and got a new appreciation, and Sarah is just like, this is literally the dumbest thing I've ever like the dialogue sucks like I actually would prefer to go back to the dumbest episode we've watched up until this point like we did not prepare people for how much we were I'm just saying when I was when I was watching it I was sitting there like I don't know if it's the way the actors are portraying it I feel like they're good actors I just feel like it's just very ham-fisted. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. We've talked dissected this. Yeah, this anyway, episode or this way scene too enough. long on the scene that I absolutely abhor. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so we jump to the initiative. Spike is like caged, dreaming about Buffy. Um, <laughs> I love the cut. They have like three different cuts in this episode where they talk about how like intelligent or how much like a lot of people desire Buffy. And it's like jumped to like a character, mainly Spike, who's like wanting that, but in a very different way. <laughs> There's a lot of parallels between Spike and Riley both yeah. wanting Buffy in this episode, but just yeah. for very different reasons. It's hilarious. He looks incredibly malnourished, but I will say, I'm so, okay. Uh, guys, I swear this episode wasn't bad. I'm these things are we just flying to the at me right now. Yet. But <laughs> the makeup on 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, makeup artist on on Buffy. I'm sorry. I love you. Maybe you just had a weird off day, but like it literally looked like fake malnourished makeup to make him look skinnier. Like I could see the contour on his jaw. I don't know. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> he also needs toner, and his bleach is so freaking bad. It's so yellowy. I'm sorry. Spike's hair. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Mm, I love you, Spike. But for some reason, it looks like <laughs> it looks like ramen. It looks like no, it looks ramen. Like egg. Like, it looks like no. Like it's egg. because it it needs to be toned. It yeah. literally. I'm like, baby girl. Um, it's a purple well, shampoo on that. And then and then the cake of foundation on his face to make him look pale. It's like the same color, and I'm like. Oh my god, it's too much. I think it's just the fluorescent lighting, like it shows every little thing and it's no everything. one looks, you know, it's everything. Yeah, it's everything. So it's just very unfortunate. Yeah. Well, it's paralleled with the white walls and the white floor that he's like it's everything's like, bouncing of off of his skin. Yellowy. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Anyway, Malnourished Spike looks like he's gonna die. He's Malnourished. Decrepit. Um <laughs> um, he looks around and sees other cages. Then we bump over to Giles' house. He's sketching the initiative. I really feel like he's trying to just keep himself busy at this point. Like, did we really need, yeah. like, a sketch of <laughs> of these, like, soldier boys? I don't think we really – I think we got the the image. Yeah, we've seen them enough by now. Also, can everybody in the Buffyverse just, like, draw amazingly? Like, I feel like every time, like, oh, let me sketch it out, it's like a full-blown, like – worthy of museum art i like what is this give it a couple episodes i feel like we'll see one that's definitely not mm, <laughs> yes i think we will <laughs> jaws is way, way more free time on his hands right now he's able to uh, he loves this sketching this bit. season he's like oh yeah let me sketch this <laughs> yeah it's true um he shows xander and they say that they're probably human there's no research needed they both okay you can tell that both of them are very much needing to be needed Especially in this scene. Back in season two, would you ever have guessed that Giles and Xander would be the two hanging Absolutely out with not, each other? Absolutely not. I love this pairing. I wish we got more of it. We had like two scenes of them, and I was like, please give me more. Especially, well, we'll get there. There was an entire scene that was cut out with the two of them, and it's hilarious. Oh, I hate that. And then Buffy comes in, she sees the drawing, and is like, yep. Two thumbs up for me. That's exactly our guy. Um, <laughs> she says, she's like, I'm not patrolling tonight. Willow needs cheering up and someone to go with her to a party and then says the boys will patrol for her. It's becoming more and more apparent that Giles and Xander are feeling ostracized and left out from the rest of the gang. Like they caught, they got really close to verbalizing it in this episode or like in this scene in particular when both of them are like sighing and talking about how like, oh, she probably won't need us. Like I just kind of feel bad for them. They both need to be needed for sure. And they're missing that. Like even though like Xander doesn't have to do research, you could tell the part of him is kind of like, oh, so it's not a big deal now. Like usually when I have to do research, it's like there's something that like yeah. th- they need me in some way or another in this yep. process. And since yep. he has like nothing, it's like, okay, well, we're going to go patrolling. But it doesn't seem like it's urgent because Buffy doesn't need him to go. So even so then it's like they're going to take it very seriously, but it's not really that needed. Yeah. So back in the initiative, Spike is trying to figure out how to get out. They drop blood from the ceiling and someone next to him says it's drugged. Um, and that usually they'll kind of like malnourish them until they're about to like kind of go crazy. Then they give them the blood and then they spike it and they do some experiments. Um, the vampire's name is Tom and he was the guy. <laughs> I love I, I love names to like one-off characters. It's like or the, why the would most to know that? old white man names. It just kills me. Tom. He He's the vampire that we saw – as a part of Sunday's gang in The Freshman. He's the one vampire that got away that they tased at the very end of that episode. Mm. 
Yeah, it's this guy. And actually, you can see a couple other, I think you see when they do like the big pan over of all of like the big initiative hanger thing, you can see the same demon that Buffy caught in the wish. There's a a guy that you saw from Homecoming. Like there's a couple of like, because obviously they had to reuse the suits and stuff, but it makes it kind of cool. And then they end the scene with how um, Spike finds out that the other dude ran from Buffy and they made it here. And then he goes on this huge anger tangent and is like, I'll tear her apart no matter how intelligent she is. And then it cuts to class where Buffy has ink all over her hands. Well, I love the line he says. He's like, oh, you know, I I wondered what would happen if she ever got funding. (laughs) He thinks that Buffy has made this entire thing. Buffy's like ink gets all over her nose. This girl is like a hot messes episode. I love it. I love the little like awkward Buffy moments because they're never so awkward. They're just so endearing. But I also feel like this is so accurate. I feel like <laughs> like as a human being, it's like I feel like I do the most embarrassing stuff when people are watching me. Like I feel like most of the time it's like I, I, I'm a fairly coordinated person, but it's like the one time someone's watching, of course, I'm going to trip and fall and eat it in front of everyone. Like... Uh, like that's just it's very relatable mm-hmm. um so at the end of class willow kind of goes up to riley to ask about oz and then oz is like or not oz i wish <laughs> dang it <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i told myself i wouldn't cry <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> um, riley says that he dropped out and then will says that he'll be back walsh of course has to step in completely obliterating willow in this moment calls her a narcissist i was like Hello? I don't like this Maggie Walsh person. Like, I just don't like her. I hate her. She (laughs) is just full of it. I mean, guys, we don't know much about her yet. I don't care. I don't like her. (laughs) No, I'm saying from what we've seen, if my psychology teacher was A, invading people's personal space like this, and B, giving advice that is so contrary to psychological, like, psychology, how do you say that? Like, her, the way that she speaks to her students and like talks to them is so opposite what she should be teaching in psychology. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So before we get into that, fun fact, the fact that Willow comes up and says, Osborne, Daniel Osborne, believe it or not, that's the first time we learn Oz's full name in the entire series. And it's he looks like left. a Daniel. Like, I don't know how yeah. to explain it. Like, he kind of looks like his his first name would be Daniel. But he also looks like he would yeah. be a nickname of a last name sort of person. Yeah. But it's just crazy that he leaves and then you finally figure out what his full name is. All right. Back to Maggie. I don't like this lady. I know I said that already, but I'm just going to say it again. Um, I do think it is interesting that they have kind of the parallels of Buffy really struggling at the beginning of the season when Maggie just kind of like turned on her. And then now we have Willow struggling and Buffy seems to be doing semi-okay. And this is like a common thing with Buffy. Buffy struggles to stand up for herself, but if you come at somebody else, she will throw down everything and stand up for them. And I think this is like completely in character for Buffy to come on here and be like, hey. And I also did crack up because she said pretty much exactly what Leah said a couple episodes back when she says, you know, for someone who teaches human behavior, you might try showing some. I was like, that's essentially what Leah said. Like, are you a psychology teacher? Why are you saying all of this to someone when you of all people should be understanding like that they may be going through some stuff? And then she leaves and then well, she's like, I like her. Okay, girly, for sure. And then Finn, Finn. Who am I? We're talking about last names. Riley. So one of my biggest beefs with this episode is I don't necessarily buy into 
Okay. So I do think Riley likes Buffy, but I don't buy into how it's discovered that he likes Buffy because he mm-hmm. had to be told by like two friends. Then Maggie like brings up that she likes her. It feels like he's just kind of giving into peer pressure or he's incredibly unself-aware. Like he's just not even aware that he would be into her. But knowing what we find out at the end of this episode that Maggie is his military leader, not just the professor, I think it's a very um, – an article I was reading said it's a very soldiery thing to do, to be kind of waiting for permission or waiting for the stamp of approval from the person that's over you to be like, hey, I like that person. Almost kind of like, oh, okay, now I can kind of give myself permission to realize that maybe I have feelings for Buffy or something. And I just think that's kind of an interesting observation. You know? I didn't mind the the direction of him finding out that he likes Buffy. I think it just was like when you throw it all into one episode, if it was like episodes on end and it was like like him just talking about her but like didn't realize that he was talking about her in like a, oh, I admire her. She, I think she's weird way. But it's all in one episode. Like No, I agree. But I totally. also – I don't think it's the fact that everyone's been talking to him about it. I think it's the fact of when he punches Parker, which I don't dislike. I think it's the fact that he, he's like, oh, shoot, like – uh, I don't like him talking about Buffy like that. But then it's like you jump from that into like I'm gonna ask her out immediately in the party, and then and then they have multiple interactions. That at the end, it's like, oh, maybe Buffy likes him back. Like it's just like it, it's, it's just too a much. bit e- escalated. Yeah. No, I agree. I just it's weird because for me, when I watch the episode, it's like he Buffy wasn't even a blip on his radar. She wasn't even totally. someone. He, it wasn't even put in his mind to even like her. Until people started asking him about her. And so she was already in his mind after that. And then when he punches Parker, then it was like, oh, I guess I must like her because of all this stuff that's happened. Versus if Parker had mentioned Buffy without anybody else bringing Buffy up to him, I wonder if he'd come to the same realization. It just felt like because he was already thinking about her. I don't know. To me, it just felt really forced. It was very odd that everybody kept kind of pushing Riley towards Buffy instead of it just happening organically. We heard, we saw a lot of like tell, but not a lot of show. I had mm-hmm. no indication that Riley liked Buffy up until this episode, you know? Yeah, I feel you. It just sucks because I, I those moments can be really cute and sweet in television when it's like they realize they like somebody and they didn't know that they like somebody. Like at the end of Clueless, one of my favorites, she's like walking in the whole like um, fountain glows and she's like, wait, I like Josh. It's like, yeah, I like it goes ever. off. Right. <laughs> well, and I was, I was thinking about it because I think like the difference between like Riley and Oz, for instance is that the show allowed Oz to be a good guy organically and naturally. Like Oz was stellar. He did a lot of amazing things. They're kind of trying to do the same thing with Riley, but they keep comparing Riley with other people versus Oz was just Mm -hmm. a good guy all on his own. And I think that's why Mm -hmm. it just feels more forced. We also had more time. Like I think forget how much of a slow burn Oz and Will's relationship really was. It was so long, a little bit too long. I was like, all right, guys. (laughs) Like – the first time they have sex is almost two seasons after they start dating. Like, come on, guys. Like, really? But – um, and it's like there was so many moments where it was like – and maybe that made sense for their relationship because she was still kind of into Xander. Maybe maybe I'm changing my mind. I think it um, made sense then. But Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like we're just, again, jumping the shark a lot of stuff in this episode. And it's not like it's bad. It's just that it could be better. 
Um, okay, so we jump into the the basement where Giles is there. Seeing Giles in his basement is so weird. What world was Giles like, yes, I want to go into Xander's basement? <laughs> That's how you know Giles is like, at this point, I just need to be involved in something because he is so bored. Like, he's going to Xander's basement. Can I just say, whoever's idea was it to, like, the subtle details of storytelling to un- make you understand where characters are at at their point at this point in the story. What am I even saying? Um, but the small detail of having Giles be just eating chips tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> Have we ever seen him snack? First of all, ever. But like him eating chips in like a basement with like a eighteen year old, nineteen year old is just like you're like oh. Poor Giles. Like, and then like getting <laughs> excited lost. about the fruit punch and that Xander's mom is offering to them. <laughs> Leah, what does this remind you of? Hey, little girl. <laughs> hey, little girl. I don't like that grape sauce. It upsets my stomach. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking we about. We made Sarah watch Hot Rod. She hated it, but it's one of like Lee's my favorite movie ever. I don't think I watched all of it. I think I only watched part of it, but yeah. Okay, here we are in season four, and they are once again milking and capitalizing on Xander's one episode as a soldier, as a military guy. I also just don't understand because, like, if we're going by that logic, shouldn't Buffy have a bunch of, like, Victorian-era knowledge? (laughs) We we go through this every time I bring it up. No, Leah, because – they don't need it. <laughs> exactly. What is she going to do? I know how to do my hair really good. Like what? No, I know. But I'm just saying like, wh- or it's like, or like, couldn't she be like, have a bunch of like history knowledge? Like all of a sudden she's incredibly misogynistic and sexist. <laughs> but I'm just saying like, that doesn't make any sense because it doesn't apply to anyone else. Yeah. Well, because Willow, what is she going to think about goat? Like she knew nothing about being a ghost. Like, I just think that. Everybody else moved on, and I just don't think I don't think Xander has fully moved on yet. You know, still in his glory days. It, but I do think it's funny that he's forgotten enough about it that Giles has to come in and help him like load the gun. <laughs> but you can also tell that everyone's really out of sync when it comes to normal stuff because the fact that they have to like recruit and like prepare and bring a bunch of equipment just for patrolling when that used to be such like a daily thing really just tells me a lot too. Like yeah. he's getting like outfits ready binoculars that you, you see him use like later like do we really need binoculars they're coming out of graves for they're sake. so it's bored. right there yeah yeah <laughs> like, we don't need it but okay so we go to the lounge riley is like freaking throwing a frisbee question mark inside yeah in the gram who still has the yet to say a single word he's just like <laughs> Throwing a frisbee back to him. No, Graham, Graham said something in his first in his first scene that he was in. I it was really. I literally yeah. swear that by the time he said something at the very end, it was so quiet, and I was like, "Did Graham just speak?" <laughs> like yeah. I was. No, shocked. he has a couple of lines, but yeah, he's he's just kind of there. <laughs> oh gosh! And then Forrest is babbling on again. My goodness! <laughs> Will someone shut this man up? I cannot. Stand and he tries. Him. He decides to pull in his number one witness, and we're like, "Oh, Parker, yeah, who's the Parker?" And I was like, "Parker," because I just thought it was some random person. Then I realized it was the Parker, and I was like, "I thought we were done with this fool. I forgot he came back for this." No, episode. literally, he's he freaking keeps going back. This one dude's thinking like, "Okay, I have like one episode of being a douchebag," and then gets pulled back in for like four episodes. He's like, "When will this?" I don't want to play this character anymore. They text him it's again. Like, Please, He's like, no. let me out the contract. Please. 
I think he's been in the show more than Riley has at this point. No, well, because he had a whole episode with him and Buffy. And then after that, he had a few other scenes. So I genuinely yep. think he's had more screen time than Riley at this point. Yeah. Freaking Forrest is like, uh, what about Buffy? And then Parker's like, Buffy? Yeah, she's all right, I guess. I mean, kind of whiny, you know, clingy. I mean, we got a little physical. Okay, we got fully physical. And then she was all over me like, we're betrothed or something. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. And then Who Forrest goes, but, but fun was sad, yeah. If your friend that you think likes Buffy, do you think that probing somebody who's had sex with her is really going to like help? Do you really think that, Forrest? Really? Do you think that's really helpful? I think he does. I think he does. <laughs> He's just trying to push Riley's buttons, but this is not how you do it. This is not This is I not good care. I don't care. That you could literally just straight up be like, do you like her? I think you should ask her out. And he'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, let's probably. just break down everything about her, like yeah. sexually, and just like really exploit her in front of so many people. Love yeah. that. I think the other reason that they had Forrest this explicitly uh, toxic is because this is our first taste of what the initiative is aside from Riley. So once it's revealed that Forrest, Graham, and Riley are a part of the initiative, and then Maggie is as well, you have to form a picture of what the mission statement, what the initiative is all about by the people that you know. And so I think Forrest is a huge symbol of how misogynistic the initiative seems to be by the fact that there is no women. Well, on top of Maggie Walsh, who like just completely bullies all the women in her class. Yeah, right. Well, gosh. And then Parker freaking says like, well, you know the difference between a freshman girl and a toilet seat? A toilet seat doesn't follow you around everywhere after you use it. So much for that apology, huh, Parker? The quick, swift, closed fist of Riley I rewinded guys four times. Just so I'm not like you think I'm joking. No, literally four times I rewound 15 seconds to watch that. The quick handedness of Riley makes me give him two thumbs up for this episode. I really liked Riley this episode. I know it yeah. doesn't sound like it, but I think he's a great no, guy. He I think no, he's he did very great. sweet. Yeah. I, he, nice. Yeah, he's great. It's more of just how they're introducing his relationship with Buffy that I have issue with. But I think yeah. that, like, I think he's a really nice guy. Honestly, he reminds me of my husband. Sarah. Don't do that to Andrew. <laughs> oh my gosh. Riley is very respectful in this episode. He sticks up for Buffy. He yeah. is very kind to Willow. It just reminded me of my own husband. That's all. I can see it. So they walk outside and then Riley's shocked that he likes Buffy. He says that he was being so crude and he didn't like him talking about Buffy that way. And then he's like, I think I will. I guess I like her. That line, I was like, can we write that a little then, bit better? <laughs> I was like, please. I guess I like her. I'm like, go back to Kansas. Go back to Kansas. Oh, my gosh. Iowa. He's why from do you, Iowa. Why do you have to say it like that? Like, Same why? Place. Well, and then, like, the fact that they had, like, the music start playing, I was like, uh-uh. Nope, nope, nope. I, this music played when Parker was here. This music played when Xander <laughs> I don't and Willa were here. So I'm trying no, to manipulate my it. feelings. <laughs> yes. I see what you're doing. If the music has to play in order to get us to that moment, then maybe you're not doing a good enough job of getting us there all on your own with or your dialogue. freaking like, romantic music when like <laughs> Xander and Willa are doing footsie underneath the desk in like, <laughs> Stop. lab in high school. Stop. I blocked it out. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, nah, No. No. Not this music. Not when they're cheating. No, thank you. Yeah, no. I, I, I think that this scene was literally the worst written thing I've seen yet 
Like I, I that like, takes. I could have taken just the punching, and then you moved on, and then you see him starting to like be nice to Buffy. I feel like that could have been cool because you're showing that telling. Whereas, like when we have this whole yeah. conversation, like what? Imagine it. Imagine this whole scene didn't. Yeah, wasn't there. I can see and it. And then all of a sudden, he's like goes to Willow and is like, "Hey, I was thinking of asking Buffy out." That would have been like I've been like, "Well, that's cool." I, Actually, yeah, like that makes total sense because we're imagining in our brains that he's thinking the whole walk over, oh shoot, maybe I do really like Buffy because like I'm mm-hmm. not like an, like an aggressive person. Like as far as we know at this point, we don't know he's an initiative. So we're thinking like he's a gentle human being. He wouldn't punch anyone. He wouldn't do any of that. So it's like we're imagining this whole inner dialogue and he shows up at Will- Willow's like dorm room. Like that's like, that would have been so cute. But this whole conversation was unneeded. But even like what he says to Willow, like he's like, you know, I'm thinking of courting. courting oh, I like, wrote right, that down. Yeah, my yeah, we'll I was like, hello? That. that triggered me a little bit. Courting? Um, I'm like, okay, monsieur, get get a medieval era, <laughs> bro. Monsieur. I was like, going to, I'm going to court my lady. I'm like, oh, rally. <laughs> Come on, but I mean, man. like, why couldn't it have just been like, hey, I think she's really cool. I want to get to know her more. Why does it have to be this like super serious thing all of a sudden? It just feels like we had to like say the writers need to explicitly be like, oh my gosh, I like her. Therefore, we're gonna pursue her like full, full on. Why didn't? Why couldn't it have just been like he goes to the party, sees Buffy, and just realizes, hey, like, there's more to her. Or and even that dorm room conversation could happen because there's some parts I do like about it. Yeah, like he's being really I sweet agree. to Willow. They're having really like, good conversations. As far as this conversation, it makes sense to me only because we've seen more interaction between Willow and Riley than we've seen yep. Buffy and Riley. So this makes sense to me. I was not sold on Riley and Buffy being a thing until the very end of the episode because they paired Willow and Riley so much in this scene, like in several scenes in this episode. What an interesting kind idea. Of I've never thought about them romantically until right now. I feel like they were kind of hinting at it. I think the they could have been of episodes. I think they would have worked oh, almost weird. better than Buffy this is and the first time it's ever come to my head. I think, I think they worked. were kind of leading to it. I mean, he did rescue her from being run over by a car and they had chemistry. I wonder what type of relationship no. they would have had with no. their personalities. Oz <laughs> yeah. just left. I refuse. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I'm no. not putting Riley on anyone else. <laughs> no. <laughs> I refuse. But we don't know what type of relationship they'd have. You never know. Could have worked. Okay. So what kills me is the scene where Graham goes, everybody knows, man, that you had feelings for her. And I was like, since when? Oh, we're back there. Except for us. (laughs) No one knows. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I thought you'd moved on. We can move on. I just don't understand why they're like, duh, we all know. No. No one knew. We're confused, man. That's what I'm saying. I tried to ignore that whole outside conversation because in my brain, it would have flowed better. Um, and then we jump back into the initiative. Spike fakes being asleep. The doctor comes, drags him out. Spike chokes him, fights the other dudes. One of them accidentally, like, <laughs> gets the needle in someone's neck, kills him. I don't even know. So chaotic. He opens the other door for the other vamp. And then Spike offers him to guards so that he can sneak out. So there's actually a major, like, flaw, like, plot hole in this episode because technically Spike has the chip in him, right? And he injures these guys. So technically he should not have been able to do that. Oh, like the choking and such? Yeah. Because he doesn't technically yeah. bite anyone. He tries biting and he can't do I it. I thought it wasn't like hurting someone. It just was like... Trying to kill them? Trying to no, kill them, yeah. It's hurting them because Maggie Walsh and Riley both specify towards the end of the episode. Um, but especially too, because... Uh, here, let me pull it up. Um, okay, so Joss Whedon had this to say about this moment. 
Spike fighting his way out of the initiative? Funny you should ask. This was one of the great foul-ups in Buffy history. When I saw the show cut together, I went ballistic. Spike was hitting everybody in the initiative, <laughs> in the dorm hall. It was it was insane. Now I surround myself with smart people and then take the credit for their efforts. A plan brilliant in its simplicity. But the ball got dropped there. We couldn't reshoot most of it, so we edited it so that all he did was throw people, not punch them. And when he did punch someone, he went, ah, my head and whatnot. Mostly we got away with it. It's like every time I see Angel walking in what looks like sunlight, I just cry and realize I can't possibly run two shows. But I press on after someone drags me drooling and muttering from the men's room and try to do my best. So for the love of God, don't mention the spike thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh darn Sarah you made me laugh at a toss quote that is funny though I mean I feel like there are quite a few trip ups in the Buffy verse in general I'm not even gonna lie sometimes I'll watch other shows and I, the amount of stuff that I see in Buffy is like non-comparable I think it's because you've watched Buffy so many times too you kind of know it forwards and backwards I've seen a lot of shows of quite a few times and I've never seen something quite like sometimes I'll see like continuity errors or like the way the angles are shot I see people's mouths moving that doesn't like fit with the dialogue but other than that it's like I'll see things that like doesn't make sense in the lore of the show and Buffy that I've ever seen anything else I mean, I think that's confirmation bias. I think you, I mean, do you have a podcast on any other show and are going through it episode by episode? I think that you just know it very well. And I also think that like, I mean, Vampire Diaries has major plot holes you could drive a truck through. Oh my gosh. No, don't even get me started on Vampire Diaries. Like I, guys, I enjoyed watching Vampire Diaries. Like it is entertaining. But as far as continuity and things like that, like, there is so much in there that you're like, what the frick? Like, this I don't think they really cared plot. about like past lore. They just kind of made it up as they went. No, they. you can tell they did. I mean, they tried to like tie stuff back and they did tie certain stuff and there is like parallels. So I'm not going to say like the writers had no idea what they're doing, but I really do think that like they were just kind of free balling it until like the like, <laughs> probably the last like three seasons and then like tried to tie back to the beginning because they were losing their audience towards the end. You know what show I think is the absolute worst is Pretty Little Liars. Like, yeah, absolutely I love no Pretty Little Liars. Like, Pretty Little Liars is like my guilty pleasure to watch. But like continuity wise, it's it's not so bad. Good. They yeah, have, I have a not seen it, so bubbles. I have no input. It's I also have not bad. finished. I've only seen the first four seasons of Vampire Diaries, so maybe like those shows are the ones that I don't really, I don't, we can't really speak to, but. Um, so back the, at the dorm, the one we were trying to d- discuss earlier, um, Will's listening to sad music. Riley Knox comes in, says that he's asking – or was he asking for Buffy or was he going there to talk to Willow? He was I'm looking for Buffy. That. But I got to okay. say, that is the peppiest knock I've ever heard. Really? Like, I didn't hear bop, bop, bop. it. Like he was like so happy and <laughs> Will is just like sitting there completely miserable. I was like, that would have immediately made me angry if I was mad. Been like, oh, you know, that you was a so character happy? choice. He's thinking, mm, I'm so excited because I think I'm in love with Buffy. And then he's like, I'm a knock like I'm happy. And everyone's like, okay. <laughs> well, his line when he walks in, oh, gee, I hope I'm not interrupting anything really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh. I was like, okay, good job. That was funny. Will's like, she's not here. And then they have this whole conversation. And I love how, like, Allison Hannigan, she was so funny this episode, but specifically the scene where she's, like, talking. And you can tell she's in the middle of being depressed and also being like, I don't want to talk to him. And then being like, 
oh shoot, her bag is on the floor and her like tried to like kick it down. Riley so is funny. the most unself-aware or like the least self-aware person ever. He's like over there like, oh, let me help you. Please give me a clue on something that she likes as he's literally shoving her entire identity I that under was very her endearing. bed. I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. Like there were some things that he did. I was like, it was very endearing. Like he he like yeah. didn't look at He's like, oh, let me help you with that. Like they're really, really shoving down the chivalry of Riley this episode. I'm like, okay, a little too much. But it, it was cute. Mark Lucas is also just – you can tell that he's a really nice guy. Like he genuinely I think is just playing himself. He just is very open and honest and kind and it's hard to hate him. But I really – it's just the writing that's like yeah. cramming him down my throat. Um, and then Willow gives this whole self-deprecating speech about the beginning and the end of relationships. And at the end of her speech, he goes, yep, that's the plan. <laughs> She's like, I figured it was. <laughs> I was like, gee, well, I was like, watch this actually happen because, you know, freaking Joss Whedon doesn't believe in happy endings for relationships, man. And then he's like, I never courted anyone like Buffy before. Okay. I really liked him until he said that word. And then I was like, trigger, trigger warning. (laughs) The whiplash we get from this freaking character. It's like, oh, courted. Like, really, guys, like this is coming from people who have written such beautiful speeches in the Buffyverse. And then you put something like that. Courted. I think they're just trying to hammer home his Midwesternness and like that whole mentality. But I do got to say, like, Riley is very kind. Like, he figures out pretty, I mean, it's hard not to. He's like, okay, Willow's not in the mood to talk. Like, I should go and stuff. And then Willow decides to throw him a bone. She likes cheese. I was like, my favorite's Gouda. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite's Gouda. I feel like she gave him like the bare minimum cheese. She likes cheese. I know. I was like, give him something else, but also like, don't give him like a detail about stuffed animal she has. Cause if he ever mentions that, that's creepy. How does like, how is he supposed to just like talk about that? But it's cute that she talks about Mr. Gordo. I was like, oh, and then the ice capades. Cause these are all canonical things that we do know about Buffy. I don't know. It made us feel like, yeah, we know Buffy too. It's just really cool when the show does that. And then Riley being like, does she ever talk about me? Willow's like, sorry. And he's like, that's discouraging. <laughs> um, back in like the – I think it's like the tunnels or something. I was like, oh, we're having the slap fight this episode? Like way too much is happening in this episode. You mean – oh, you mean – oh, yeah. We see Harmony unrolling a unicorn poster. Mm-hmm. She's completely moved into Spike's crypt and like <laughs> completely revamped it to everything that she loves, which is really also, funny. Also, speaking of like continuity or whatever, it's – Full on broad daylight, and he's coming in from where the sun is beaming. In like, is it really? <laughs> yes. I was like, how did he get here? And if he did come here in like the sun, we've seen people like throw blankets over themselves, but he doesn't have one. He's not smoking, so I'm a little bit confused. I like that they have Harmony back because I think they've kind of turned her into not just a. I won't say she's necessarily like super interesting, but she's really fun to have around. Yeah. Their dynamic is interesting, but also. I like that she's kind of getting a little bit of a mini arc by how she stands up to Spike in this episode. I was like, good for you, Harmony. I know. Honestly, Harmony is one of those characters that like for every single time she's shown up, I literally forget her. And then like this is like when I started to actually remember her. I was like, oh, Harmony, good for you. Wow. Leo remembers a blonde other than Buffy. I know, but it took me four seasons to remember Harmony. (laughs) That's true. That is true. And I like how it's like she forgives him immediately, but then like she ends up off camera kicking him out. So I'm proud of her. He's like looking around for weapons for Buffy. You could tell that she's getting defeated every time he mentions killing the Slayer. 
his obsession for Buffy, you could tell, is driving a wedge in their relationship. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, this again? Yeah. Thought we were over this. Out in the graveyard slash bushes, Xander is giving a speech about being a hero and dying and all the, the high stakes of stepping in for the Slayer. And Giles is just being like, oh, shut up. <laughs> so I feel funny. for Giles having to stand there with Xander as he's living out his army guy fantasies. So there was a whole part of the scene that was cut out. So after he says, oh, shut up, Xander says, just setting the mood, big guy. Giles says, I don't think I ever fully appreciated how Buffy deals with this every night. Xander, Buffster's the champ. Way she deals with the boredom, the violence, and all without these tasty little cucumber sandwiches to keep her going. And then he reaches into his brown paper bag, and they're all gone. And he goes, hey, who ate the last one? And Giles goes, still, it's nice to be able to make oneself useful. I dare say we'll see some action before the night is through. And Xander's like, commandos will never see us coming. We're shadows. We're the wind. Unseen. And then a lost freshman shows up and says, excuse me. And it says, Giles and Xander turn a lost freshman, talking to them like they're in plain sight, which they are, asks, you guys know which way's Mather's Hall? And then they point and, yeah, it's essentially just Dang like it. Giles. Why and- didn't they keep that in yeah. there? That felt like it was not There's long. some like dialogue that they cut out that I'm like, why? Especially with some of the dialogue they kept in this episode. I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we could have cut out Riley's whole realization thing yeah. and uh, – Forrest's horribly misogynistic, toxic, like objectifying woman speech at the very beginning and kept this in and I I wouldn't have complained. We still would have gotten the same message. So at the party, Buffy and Willow come in. You can definitely tell Buffy is like she's allowing herself to be available to Willow without smothering her. And I really just appreciate the emotional intelligence that Buffy has. I feel like sometimes they don't really broadcast that all too much with Buffy. They focus on a lot of other great things about Buffy, but I just, I really appreciate. She's been a great friend. Buffy the past is a episodes. great friend. She just reads people really well. And I feel like when you're constantly in high stakes and you're having to grow up really quickly at a 15 year old who becomes a slayer, I really feel like that kind of brings in emotional intelligence as well. Um, but I just love that honestly both of them read each other really well this episode like willow goes up to riley soon after this tells her that she's <laughs> she's wearing a halter and sensible shoes which means she's mostly dancing and light contact is needed i just like i love that i love when they can read each other it just it feels like actual friends like mm-hmm. i feel like their interactions in this episode are some of the only natural ones like they totally. just genuinely the way they talk about each other and to each other is how i would talk about my friends or like it's just very organic. I feel like kind of like what Lee was saying, like this whole party situation felt very normal. Um, I feel like sometimes when we watch television, it seems very much like someone's upset. So like they they stay close to them the whole time and it's like so focused on the person being super sad and a lot of sort of stuff. But it's like this is how life is. You show up and everything's moving on. And you, like Buffy's giving her space, but also allowing herself to like – be at her back and call she needs to so it's like she asks her like hey like do you want me to hang out with you and will is like no and so she still kind of like reluctantly goes away and hangs out with people but like is still having a good time and i feel like that's very realistic riley inserting himself into this conversation he had to walk past like they're all like there's like seven people in a semicircle around buffy he walks past in in front of every single one of them, Mm -hmm. interrupting all of their conversations. And I wrote, Riley inserting himself into this conversation is the way this show is trying to insert him into the characters' lives. Awkward forced and everyone's confused. It's just like the most 
scripted and blocked thing ever. Well, it's just awkward too because it's like it's mostly guys and then there's like one chick next to Buffy and he walks straight in between the circle to cut off everyone. And Buffy and the chick are talking and he stands right in front of her. <laughs> I know. Like, okay. I appreciate how realistically awkward this conversation is with Buffy. Like Buffy's whole like this is really awkward face was so well done. Um, and his like little stammering and him being super nervous walking up to Buffy it was super endearing too. I mean, it is like awkward, but like it's very realistically awkward. I agree. It, it actually felt very – it was the first time I actually felt like it was the real Riley rather yeah. than the one they're trying to force down our throat. Yeah. Like – I agree. He just seemed human. Like he was awkward and kind of stuffy and uncomfortable, but like that's normal when you're asking someone out. Also, I think it was kind of refreshing to see Buffy not being the one that was stumbling over her words and a little awkward. For the first time, it felt like Riley was a little unsure of himself. And we've only ever seen him as kind of self-assured. He's he's the junior or senior. He's been there before. This is his turf. And so kind of seeing him out of his element while Buffy is very clearly kind of in her element was a little refreshing, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, back at the graveyard, <laughs> Santa's <laughs> walking by himself and he's like, fine, let's split up. I don't care. <laughs> I wish I could have seen that conversation where Jaws is like, you know, it'd be best if I'm not around you. He takes all the sandwiches. Santa doesn't know that he like <laughs> stole the rest of them and took them with them. <laughs> oh, gosh. This whole scene too is just so funny because it's like, of course, it's like I forget that Xander and Harmony went to high school together. So yeah. it's like weird pettiness of them hating each other their whole lives. Or it's all coming to head in this one moment. Harmony's like throwing like gas on um, Spike's old clothes and everything. And then them when they're spewing out insults to each other, Harmony slaps him so pitifully across the face. It gives such a, a hollow sound. It's so high pitched. And he's like, ow. <laughs> he's like shocked by it. He's like hurt by it. He's also like clearly like just annoyed and upset about it. <laughs> yep. It's like a sibling. It's like when you guys are fighting and then someone does something and you're like, hello and he like kicks her she squeals and she's like you're a sissy kicker <laughs> and the the script says and the lamest fight in tv history breaks out heads back arms extended xander and harmony exchange a pathetic series of arms length girly slaps so mercedes McNabb said that the hair pulling shin kicking fight with xander was actually one of her favorite on-screen fights when asked if she had a stunt double she responded no it was all me but they made us wear knee pads and shin guards, which was kind of ridiculous seeing it was such a cheesy fight. They made them pad up completely for the scene. Whoever decided to have it in slow-mo needs a raise. It literally makes me pee. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, ouch, I'm so going to bite you. <laughs> and they both have to tell each other, okay, we're going to let go on the count of three because they're both kind of like stuck. <laughs> And then at the end, she's like, as if this stuff isn't mine, it's Spike stuff. And then um, she's like, I'm just wondering why men always – and looks up and Xander's gone. She's like, leave. <laughs> the poor girl. I know. He's getting poor Harmony. I feel so bad for even though I'm like, I have no reason to feel bad for this soulless demon. Back at the party, Buffy's dancing and Will and Riley look <laughs> depressed just sitting on the couch. Will is kind of like coaching him, helping him, making jokes – um, and then she stops mid joke because song from one of the dingoes plays. Do you guys do you guys know which song it is? Do you think no. we know what song? Oh, I don't. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you recognized it or not. Okay, sorry. Stupid question. Would you like me to tell you what song it is? 
Yes. Of course. We want you to tell us. All right. So the song playing is Fate um, by Dingles Ain't My Baby. The last time it was played was at the bronze in Inca Mummy Girl, the first time that Oz noticed Willow. Stop. That's actually so sad. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry, everyone. Well, and then Riley being soup. Now he's in tuned. Now he's reading the room. This is why I think Riley and Willow would have worked out well together. I'm sorry, but if you tried to <laughs> put Riley with Willow, especially this close to Oz and after Oz, I think I would hate him more. Like, genuinely, I think Riley is definitely more of a Buffy guy than a, a Willow guy, in my opinion. And even yeah, then, I don't fair. even feel like he's entirely a Buffy guy. I think it's hard to see now because it's like we see him one in one way with Buffy, but like the first couple episodes with him and Willow, like like they have some good chemistry. I don't know how that would translate romantically. I have no idea, but like Mark Lucas, I have to like hats off to him this episode. His chemistry with everybody is really good this episode. Like I wasn't necessarily feeling him and Buffy before this, but specifically when they're on the bench, their banter is like I was like this is really palpable. Like, this is really good. Like, yeah. their, like their yeah. chemistry was really – I really felt it in that scene. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just hard because up until that scene, there wasn't really, like, genuine – because that was Slayer Buffy and yeah. um and Initiative Riley talking. And that's kind of who they really are. Totally. Up until then, it was – Buffy was a little bit awkward because she's not in her element and Riley was more subdued because he's just TA guy at that point. So I feel like oh, – That's very – uh. Astute, sir. Oh, thank you. But up until then, like we've just seen a ton more Willow and Riley interactions, so it's hard not to ship them when we don't really have anything else to go on, you know? Well, and then Willow's sweet. She's like, hey, like I'm going to go, um, and you can tell Buffy that way you'll have something to say to her, which is so sweet. And she's like, tell her you don't have yeah. to worry. She doesn't have to worry about anything. He thinks her. She leaves. Then he goes up to Buffy, and you can tell that like Buffy really appreciates and can see how much he like cares about Willow. Um so the gang really needs to figure out a code word for when like Xander needs to pull Buffy from whatever social function she's a part of because they always make it so awkward. They're like, um, we need of unfinished business we need to talk about. And it's like if they had like, hey, like the puppy got out again or something. Like, well, why can't it be like a uh, oh, like Xander's having family issues again? Like blame it on someone's like right. external issues going on like oh xander just has a really bad home life so he constantly needs help or like or right. like oh willow willow has like a crazy psycho boyfriend that's always like stalking her like make something up but also like why does buffy always act like she's not getting it at the first yeah time that is that true i'm like guys as soon as i'd see either giles or xander come in because they don't go to the school you go to, right. my first thought would be, okay, I'm coming with you. I wouldn't even say anything. I'd be like walking with them until they tell me, oh, I'm just here to say hi. Like I would just yeah. assume. And she's always like, what? And they're like, oh, that thing. And then she's like, uh, oh, oh. Yeah, God. right. Like it's right. after like 45 seconds. Yeah. Well, what is that? Um, What is the code word that uh, speaking of how I met your Chimichanga. mom. <laughs> was it Chimichanga or was it uh, – yeah. He's like, we have to go. We have to go. It was something and then they changed it pineapple. to Pineapple. Was it pineapple? It was, um, no, no, no. It was um, it was an animal. I think it was like hippopotamus or something. something hippopotamus. Obscure. They just randomly say it and then, then go I, have sex. I think it was uh, hippopotamus and then halfway through they're like – And then everyone's like, we know what you're doing. Like, like, we stop. know what it is. They even say the safe word too. Not safe word, but they say the code word. 
Yeah. Like, you guys know about that? They're like, of course we do. They're like, yeah. my mother we have to go. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I really like um, how we have Forrest also coming up to Riley saying, hey, we have to go as well. We have the symmetry of both of them going off to hunt Spike and neither one knowing that they have basically almost the same job. Oh my gosh. And then freaking Forrest again is just really doing a doozy on this episode. He's like, they're probably going and having hot sex right now. And then like Riley is like, oh, thanks for that. It's just like, why? Shut up. No one wants you to be no, skinny okay. right now. His words are crazy naked sex. Okay. Now, Forrest, how many what different types think? of sex? I, I think sex like, is just inherently naked. Are you going to have like crazy over the Moderate clothes? Moderate clothes. Yeah. sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how old are we, Forrest? You sound like you're 13 and you just discovered what sex was, you know? <laughs> True. Then they get scanned by the mirror, and then for the first time, Graham says, I'm It's not the first really time he's so quiet. Before. It's <laughs> under his breath. And then the only reason why I know it's Graham who says it is because Riley goes, Thank you, Graham. <laughs> he literally says his name. <laughs> Graham. Everyone makes fun of Riley. They call him Captain Cardboard, but honestly, Graham, this guy, what is his purpose? Why he is has he here? Zero of a personality, too. He's literally only there to throw the frisbee in this episode and then say that one line. And okay, I will say this is quite a twist. This is quite a twist. Like they go, they're like talking, they go to the elevator. You're like, wait a minute, what's happening? Because they really do a good job of establishing Riley as like this normal dude. And then then to see him suddenly in his element, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I think it would have been a little bit more of a surprise if his two friends literally did not look like poster children of the military. Yeah, like, that's true. Like, um, Riley, I feel like it was a good misdirect for sure. But like being around those two men, I was like, okay, come on. Especially Graham looks like he's just tailor-made for the military. So they go down the lab and then he like mentions that like in a conversation that they're like demon hunters and then Buffy would never go out with somebody like that. And then Forrest is like, maybe a peculiar girl might. Okay, I got to say – I know they were trying to make this like super spectacular and the music is supposed to imply that like, whoa, this is the initiative set. This is so amazing. Everything is a little underwhelming. It's um, it's also like embarrassing. Like it's literally <laughs> just underneath and it's just like it just looks like a cage. It really does yeah. because it's like it, it's like all aluminum foily. I'm like, OK, y'all, I can tell you <laughs> had a small budget. So this set for the initiative is actually inside of a airplane hangar. It's where they used to make stealth bombers. And do you guys want to guess where this set is located? California. Edwards. It's not Edwards, but it is in Palmdale. It was actually um, at Skunk Works. It's a little bit north of LA. It's Skunk Works at Lockheed Legacy Complex. I was about to say Lockheed. I literally was about to say. That makes sense. You guys know where it is. Yep. Yep. Um, It actually used to be a top security military place, and then they like downgraded it and stuff. They built self bombers there. So um, they were all very excited to get this this actual hangar and stuff. Um, And Joss told uh, Douglas Petrie, when you're designing this thing, like designing the set. I mean, he didn't design the actual set, but when you're writing the script for this, he said, don't be afraid to go big. Use your imagination. Do it. Go there. This is a big budget movie. So they said they really saved their ammo and we they had a little money saved up. And I was like, mm, guys, guys. <laughs> like, guys, we really did it. They're like, we really splurged. Okay, go a little crazy. Everyone walks in, they're like, come on, man. Got a little extra tin foil. Yeah. 
And I think you could tell they're really proud of it. And here's the thing, though. We all know that Buffy <laughs> you doesn't tell have... they're really proud of it. That's so sad. Yeah, they are. They are. The music and everything. Buffy does really well. And this is something that someone wrote about in an article. They said, Buffy does really well when it is very small, intimate sets and very close and up personal. Angel the Series does really well with these really big, like ambitious type sets and stuff while also managing to keep it a little bit more grounded. Um, but anytime Buffy does it, I feel like it just turns out more campy than anything else. Yeah. It just like, it feels like it's like biting off a piece. What's that phrase? Biting off more than you can chew. Yeah. That's what it is. Mom says it all the time. Um, but like, it definitely feels like that. I feel like what Buffy does best is the stuff that just feels comfortable and cozy and then they can bring some hard hitting truth and metaphors in it with good actors yeah. and good stunts. That's yeah. great. Like anytime we're in the graveyard, I'm like, I've seen this graveyard, graveyard like a bajillion zillion times and every time I love it, I eat it up. Yeah. Like the fights in the graveyard, like the good, like, like, uh, banter and conversation and metaphors. I live for it. I think it's great. And then yeah. it's like, you get this like massive ass, like, I don't know, a laboratory with aluminum foil. And I'm like, okay. And like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah, it's a little weird. So Douglas Petrie has this to say. He says, we knew that at the end of Act 2, we were going to have these college guys just kind of laughing and scratching and getting into an elevator. And when they come out of the elevator, they're in this enormous complex in a new world, something you've never seen on this television show. It was, just speaking personally, watching the episode and the filming of the episode, one of the big thrills of my career at that moment. We got on the internet when it was broadcast on the East Coast, which is three hours ahead of us. And we timed it. We waited for the internet response to the commercial break when they revealed the initiative. And we got four or five responses in a row where someone just logged on and wrote, whoa, lots of vowels all in a row. It was very, very satisfying and just a huge thrill, huge fun, which again, this is Buffy. This is a show that notoriously has a low budget. And I can see why now that they were trying to get funding with Beer Bad because they knew this was going to be a little bit more of an expensive season with the initiative and stuff. But it's just, it's kind of funny going back now as someone who is so used to watching so much more polished shows. Like I think of even like um, the Rings of Power show that's come out and stuff and how much these Amazon shows, like the budget for them is um, and the CGI and stuff. And then going back and being like, they had, they had pretty much zero budget for this kind of stuff and really had to kind of just stretch it as much as possible. I mean, honestly, I'm impressed with how little of a budget that they had, that they were able to make a lot totally. of the stuff in the show look impressive. Yeah. Like, even when I watched the initiative and stuff, I'm not like, oh my gosh, I it's can't even watch it. It's so embarrassing. It's just yeah. funny because it's hyped up to be like, <gasps> yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. but either way, it never takes me out of the show. Yeah. Like yeah. Buffy has never been one of those shows where I'm like, wow, this is like 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 the CGI, like all oh, like this like special, you know, like it just has never been that for me. It's just the storytelling and it's like it's the characters and, and yeah. the fight scenes. The fight scenes I will say I always look forward to. Like usually fight scenes bore me so much. I like the more like physical fight scenes, like like Pirates Caribbean fight scenes, like diehard fight scenes the ones that are like you could tell that the actors had a choreograph the ones that had yeah. like people that they like helped format they're telling this. a story with exactly. their fight it's not just something that's there yes. because they want to put I've a fight never in, tuned you know? out while watching a fight scene in Buffy and that's so yeah. like weird to say because usually I just yeah. get so bored but right. anyway so when they try to do stuff that's just a little bit outside of what we are used to it just kind of brings me out of it a little bit yeah I'm not gonna lie yeah and then we find out that 
Professor Walsh. Of course. Of course. Poor Riley yeah. really can't catch a break with this lady. She's his boss in every aspect of life, <laughs> apparently. She talks about how, like, Hostel 17 has escaped. Um, then they guard themselves up while she spews out details. And then she says that Riley's in charge. Immediately, we can kind of tell that he's definitely, like, her secondhand man or whatever it's called. Like, he's definitely higher in rank. In rank. Okay, but question, why did he have to like sit there and tell everybody this? Why couldn't Maggie have done that? Like, I feel like he's always doing her work for her. Maybe she's training him to like kind of like be a leader and be able to give out instructions or whatever. Yeah. Like that's what's she gonna do when he graduates? (laughs) Yeah, true. Well, he might come back and teach and then she like he would take her spot. It might be like Mm. she's kind of prepping him to take her spot eventually, and then she would probably move up. Back at Giles' house, Buffy's kind of ranting about Spike. And then she's like, you know what? He's overstayed his welcome. Next time I see him, I'm going to kill him. They're like, do you have a plan? She's like, no, I am the plan. And then Xander offers a flare gun. This does not make any look of sense to me. But okay, so Xander, he's looking for any way to be included. So they're like, hey, have this flare gun. Please, please include us. Like they're hoping that she'll use it, you know? Also, okay, is it just me? Or did you guys see that Xander was jealous of Riley? Again, in this episode. And I was like, are you kidding me? Not I'm sorry. Again. I always get that from Xander. Anytime <laughs> anyone gives Buffy attention, Xander's mad that it's not him. Maybe a little less in this episode, but I'm still like, we're still there. Really? I know. I'm like, come on, Xander. Over it. Get over it. Um, is Spike in the public library? Like, where is he right now? This is this is the administrative office, but also yeah, how like- do we know that? Spike, it says so in the script, but also it's the same room that um, Buffy and Giles or Buffy and Xander were in when they used the computer to find all the information on Sunday. See, but I didn't even know where that was in that episode. So yeah, it's it's very it's very kind of big. Okay, but the fact that Spike is like hunting and pecking, he you could tell that James Marsters made a point to show that Spike doesn't normally use computers the way he's typing. Comedy. <laughs> gold. I don't think I would have ever expected Spike to use a computer all on his own. Also, I got to give him props. The man has been having minions do his dirty work for the past couple of seasons, and now he's finally doing his own stuff. You know, growth, Spike, growth. <laughs> but honestly, like good like character um, ideas from James Marsters because like if he's literally been, as he says in this episode, like 200 and what, like 30-something or 20-something? Like, 220, I think, yeah. Yeah. Like, of course, he's not going to know how to use, a, like, a freaking desktop computer. So, like, the fact yeah. that he decided to do that is so funny to me. Like, props to you. That was really genius. Yeah. So, fun fact, all of the names that you see in the student directory are actually behind-the-scenes production staff. So, like, assistant oh, chief lighting that. technician, the stunt coordinators. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, on the outside of campus, in very low bushes <laughs> – the three boys are like in full-on camouflage and equipment and are making so much noise and barely whispering and only like five feet away from Buffy. Um, see Buffy with binoculars. Like what is happening? Who is directing this scene? Can you not see Buffy just from the five feet away you are from her in the bushes? Like what is this? How does Buffy not see them? She's, in, she's invisible. She's invisible. Oh, gosh. And then Forrest is like, at least she's not having sex. Okay, I know he Forrest. has to – no, the crazy naked like, sex. Forrest, why are you so obsessed with this one chick's sex life? Like, actually, like, don't you have a job to be doing? No, guys. Like, I really feel like he's in love with Riley. Like, the way he's giving this off is like, <laughs> no, no. me too. Uh, thank you for the affirming, The first Lina. time – no. The first time I watched this, I literally was like, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first time I watched this, I was like, he's in love with Riley. He just gives so. off that energy. No, for real, no, he, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. Not at all. I mean, it could be, but I think he's just toxic, masculine guy. I think he's just could your be. stereotypical toxic, masculine guy. But I do think that Riley being over there and being like, you want to use the girl I have a crush on as bait and then pulling rank, I was like, that's really sweet. Oh, my gosh. And then his whole like hurt masculine self is all like, did you just put rank? He's like, do you have a problem yeah. with that? My like, period, Riley, put him in his place. It was so annoying. He's so whiny. And Forrest getting all butt hurt because he's like, I, I can pick off a hostel like 50 yards away. And Riley's like, I don't care. And Forrest's like, you doubt me, blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, don't use a civilian that you don't even know and doesn't even know that they're just sitting out there as bait. Like, that's just not cool. Like, you don't do that. Like, especially if like you like the person like that's just yeah like, i'm on riley's side like obviously he's biased because he likes buffy but like right i'm just not gonna use a random civilian as bait when they don't even know about it when something goes completely awry then she's literally mauled to death like that doesn't make any yeah. sense so he derobes and walks over to her and then he like mentions xander <laughs> <laughs> yeah because he fit a t-shirt and jeans underneath his camo stuff that would be uncomfortable uh, and Buffy is like, oh, not Xander. Poor guy. Every time – not poor guy. Every time she mentions Xander to other people, she's always like, absolutely not. <laughs> I like how Riley uses this this moment to just fish for more information instead of just being like, hey, Smart. let's get you out of there. He's like, you know, with your friend who's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then Buffy's like, I need a little alone time now. Alone. <laughs> this whole – like their chemistry in the scene, I was like, good job, you guys. Bravo. It's very cute. It's very like yeah. rom com Mm-hmm. Yeah, their banter is great. Top notch. My favorite thing was that when she was saying she's having a really hard time, I need space. And she's like, emotionally. And then she corrects herself. She's like, I mean, emotionally. Like, got to make yourself <laughs> weepy because it makes I guys really her. uncomfortable. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar is just like my favorite. I just love her. Like, obviously, we all love her. But just like, I just, yeah. like, I, I watched um the second Scooby-Doo movie recently. And I just forget, like, that she's other characters. And she's like, like beating, like and kicking one of the like the ghost butts, and I'm just like, oh, I just love her so much. I love everything she's in. Well, and then this part, she's like, what do you, what you think the boys can take care of themselves, and the girls need help? And he's like, well, yeah, with like a question mark. And it's like any any other time, I'd be like annoyed, but it's like this is also the 2000s. He's also we can tell is a very chivalrous small town, whatever. So he's like thinking that he's also in the military. So it's like. You know what? He's not saying it in like, I think girls are weak. It's like he's saying it as in like, a, you're out here alone. I know that there are demons around. I want to protect you sort of way. And you know what? That gets a pass for me. I th- Yeah. I think it's more he's seeing her as a civilian for one. Yeah, totally. But two, he also like, I think this is a product of the initiative. There are no yeah. girls in the initiative. We saw all guys. I think mm-hmm. there is a mis- very misogynistic patriarchal view of women fighting and the military initiative. Well, that and kind of Maggie thing. Walsh is the one who recruits them. Yeah. 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 It doesn't seem like she really enjoys the company of women. Well, and I don't think that she's out there physically fighting. There's yeah. one thing to be like a person that's behind totally. the scenes that's like the mastermind, but to have someone who's an actual weapon out there, like my guess is that he views Buffy very similar to how Maggie Walsh and everybody else in the military yeah. does. So, yeah. And he's not saying it in like a, I think women are weak. And or the lesser sex. Yeah. It's like a like, oh, I'm like in the military, there's demons around. You're a civilian who probably can't, you know, throw a punch if she needs to. So like, yeah, I'm gonna help you, yeah. sort of thing. Um, yeah. 
But anyway, they're they're both like, as long as you're staying out here, I'm staying. Well, as long as you're staying out here, I'm staying. And then a girl screams both of them like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Um, back at the dorm, a knock comes in. Again, so much is freaking happening. I was like, I forgot that that like yeah. this whole interaction happened. I will say the latter half of this scene is very funny, very intelligent, very witty, very metaphorical. Love it. Um, ah, it was a bit triggering. I was yeah. like, oh shoot! Like I, I didn't realize yeah. how. I don't know. It's just maybe you guys can help me formulate my thoughts on this. But it's like the the first half of him turning up the volume, cradling her, like all this stuff that I was like. I just was like, and then and then paralleling it immediately with just like the the metaphorical impotence that men go through in, in like sexual relations. It just kind of was like right after that scene. I don't mm-hmm. know. What do you guys think? Honestly, I don't know if I can frame it better either. I just think it makes me uncomfortable. It was just kind of dark. Like I would like the yeah. whole setup was just really I, honestly like if I had gone through something like this before, it would be very triggering for me. Yeah. I guess uncomfortable is the wrong word. Just more of like it's uncomfortable because being in that position would be like, I don't know. And I think I forget that vampirism is -hmm. a metaphor for sex. I think I forget Mm -hmm. that all the time. Um, And so I think having that conversation right afterwards really just kind of made me – I don't know. It brought me back into the subtext, which I feel like we don't see much of that. Yeah. So for me, it felt unnecessary. So mm-hmm. here's the thing. Like, I feel like something that the Buffyverse we all love is that it, there's a lot of comedy and you often have many things that are mixed up in one episode. Like you have comedy, drama, horror, all that. I think that what the Buffyverse doesn't do well is it'll have traumatic moments like this, but we've talked about how it doesn't do well with the healing and stuff. And I think that to turn it around, to have like this hilarious scene right after something that's so triggering, um, it's easy to brush aside. There's a reason we all forget about this first half, right? Because how funny the second half is. I think that's hugely problematic. Um, I think it was unnecessary because if if vampirism is a metaphor for sex, all he had to do was come in there and try to bite her. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to do the Mm -hmm. whole turn up the volume, grab her and throw her on the bed and cover himself, cover her Mm -hmm. with himself like that alone. And then pull out into the hallway. I think pulling out to the hallway was more triggering for me. Just the fact that everyone's going around their normal business and we know this is happening. The small details were what was really really triggering. It like makes me sick to think about. Honestly, it made me sick too. Like, like why, why not? Not just have him try to bite her without the rape. That's okay. That's very affirming because I watched that and I forgot about that first. I don't think I actually really processed the first half of the scene because again, I always remember the impotence. Like, yeah, everyone does. Everyone yeah. forgets about that other one. Yes, and I was like, I literally was like, oh my gosh, keeps going. Like it was just, yeah. And I think that that's having a character like Spike, like someone like James Marster playing, can be very confusing and muddied waters it can be very dangerous because it's like i was laughing a minute later at the stuff that he was saying and the performances because he was killing it of course just like usual like he's an amazing actor but then i just like immediately forgot about how triggering that first scene was and like like thank the good lord that i have never experienced um an ar in my life like i like I'm so thankful. But even for me, I was like genuinely uncomfortable watching that and getting like a little bit scared. And I was like, I know what happens. It just was very detailed. 
I I don't fault James Marsters or the people for picking James Marsters. I just because he's not doing anything wrong. Well, you're saying it's risky having an actor like James Marsters. I think she was trying to say that it's easy to justify those kinds of things because he's so funny the next scene. Right. But I don't I don't fault him for that because he's doing what he's told. I fault the writers. I'm not faulting him. I know. I'm just saying like I fault the writers for that because the actors are doing what they're given. Like the writers should have known better to not put those two types of scenes together and picked one or the other. They're going to go the funny route. They should have gone the funny route. They were going to go the serious route. They should have gone the serious route. Uh, what I'm saying is, it's like what I'm saying is having someone like James is dangerous. I'm putting that on the writers. I'm saying that as the writers, they need to know you that. You know what character exactly. you have, what kind of actor and how good they are at what they do. Even even with um, um, Damon and we always bring it back to that show because I, I don't really – I haven't really watched much other shows with great characters like that. And I feel like vampire lore really brings out that a lot um, because it's like the humanity, not humanity side. But Damon in um, Vampire Diaries, he is so romanticized. And I haven't watched past season four, but he sucks in the first two seasons. Like yeah. he has moments of like him yeah. liking Elena or whatever, but he's still murdering people. It, like, you know, and it's like – and people – live them together and maybe i'm not the best person to say that because i haven't seen past season four but like it's just it's it's a similar thing it's like he's so charismatic he's so good at his job he's such a good actor he really brings in the palpable energy and the chemistry and it's like as writers you need to be careful because people watch that and they romanticize that because he's so attractive because he's so charismatic and then whether or not we all like to see it agree to it or whatever. It's like what we watch definitely does tend to bleed into our lives a lot and how we view people. And so it's like when you tend to give him a lot of chances, a lot of other character chances because they're because they they show this side, oh, but he loves her so much that it's like we just don't want people to be in situations where they're in a relationship with somebody who's charismatic and and nice to them half the time, but then the other half the time is not. So um anyway, yeah. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, and unfortunately, we know that he's not really going to get killed off or any major punishment from this because he has plot armor in the sense of he's now part of the cast, you know? So it's not like they're going to Well, now it's a joke, too. Yeah. Um, In the DVD commentary, Douglas Petrie reveals that, you know, he intentionally cut to commercial after the corridor because he wanted people to believe that Willow had actually been killed. So they they did this intentionally to make you feel like she was actually going to like, you know, kick the bucket. Um, also, I kick do want to say, kick the bucket. <laughs> She's going to die. <laughs> Sound like Riley now, channeling my inner Riley. Kick the bucket. Courting. Um, okay, so both Passion and the Nerd and I caught this, but they very clearly parallel Spike and Riley in this scene because even the way it's shot, you have Willow sitting on the bed in the same clothes, listening to the same music. You have the knock at the door. The door opens even from like a pulled back angle and it's Riley and Spike. Like the way that they have them coming in, Riley respectfully sitting on the bed versus Spike blatantly there to assault her. Um, and Passion Leonard also points out that both guys came looking for Buffy but end up coming to Willow for solace and both of them end up consoling her as well. Um, and it's telling that both Riley and Spike connect with Buffy's metaphorical spirit more than anything else, which I think is really interesting. Interesting. Well, I mm-hmm. noted even in the the conversation with Riley, I, I didn't say this out loud, but I, I was planning on saying it and you just triggered it in me. But 
when he's talking to Willow in the dorm room, um, he's standing for 95% of it and he's sitting on Buffy's side. And then as they like joke around as she's giving him more of the information and he's thinking he's getting a chance with Buffy, he -hmm. sits down at the very end at the tail end of the bed with her sitting on it. And so it's like that whole like him reading the cues, him being – Maybe he is reading the room in this episode. We're like joking that he's like not very observant. Yeah. But I feel like he's good <laughs> at telling people's like emotions. And so I feel like him sitting at the edge of the bed once he feels like Will is giving him something emotionally yeah. in the conversation about Buffy, but also with them too. Because otherwise it's like she's like making slide comments and he's like, yeah, okay, she doesn't want to talk about it. But he says that at yeah. the bed at the tail end at the very end. Um, and then with Spike, obviously that's not the case. But that's that's interesting, Sarah. I didn't even think about that. There's a lot of parallels between Spike and Riley this episode, which is I really noticed it too, specifically mm-hmm. in the scenes that you're talking about where they're both yep. like in the dorm room mm-hmm. and they both kind of come like I think that Spike was looking for Buffy before he, he found was. Willow. Yeah. So it's like yep. they both were looking for Buffy, came in yep. there for purpose. Like both you could you could argue both sexually technically because Spike yeah, wanted to he wants to kill her he wants to kill Buffy or drain her and then Riley wants to date her so it's like I guess sex adjacent and then they end up with Willow outside the the boys have this like weird scanner it's infrared which that? doesn't make sense because it tells it detects a person's Body's body temperature but mm-hmm. only if you have warm body temperature so if mm-hmm. spike has a room temperature body temperature then he wouldn't show up on the infrared scanner at all <laughs> it doesn't That's make true. sense <laughs> yeah, yeah unless know. that was a very cold room but also okay maybe this is a little bit too graphic but like if he's like never mind i'm not gonna say that <laughs> what anyway. were you gonna say, <laughs> What were you gonna say? Well, no, I just was gonna say, like, if this is supposed to be a metaphor and then also kind of a reality, if vampires get off on hurting people, oh yeah, when he have body temperature elsewhere, but, if they're able to perform well, I mean, sexually, how does he? Again, once again, how they have boners. But that's what I'm saying. That's it's that whole like, how did Angel get out of breath in the first season? Yeah, yeah. Here we go. You know what I mean? Round and round. It doesn't quite make sense if they get turned on by it. Would their whole body temperature just change? I don't know. Also, okay, Willow, girl, are you okay? I mean, I know you're struggling, but like the whole, she's like, you came looking for Buffy, then settled. You didn't want to bite me. I was like, Willow, what? What? What do you want? What wants to bite you? What's going on? And then his whole like, like, oh, come on. He's like last year when you wore that pink fluffy sweater. But also, wasn't that um, – Lover's Walk. Oh, that was Lover's Walk. Yeah, that's when he kidnapped her and was thinking about biting her then. Oh. <laughs> Poor Willow. So many close encounters. I was thinking her, her iconic pink sweater from The Wish. That's what I was thinking. Not The Wish. You know. Um, yeah, Lover's Walk. That's the only episode – that's the only episode he was there for. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, and then he's like, I'm only 126. And she's like, you're being too hard on yourself. How about we wait a half an hour and try again? And then her face is like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what am I doing? <laughs> she grabs the lamp, hits him, and then tries to run out. Um, and then the boys come up, turn off the lights, knock the door down, and Spike throws Willow at them and then runs out yeah. and for us. 100-pound Willow knocks over three commandos. I was like, me. <laughs> I mean, maybe she's shoved like hard enough. But it didn't look like it. I don't know. Um, they grab him. He gets loose because the focus is on Willow and how they're going to, like, take her to, like – what? Are, why would they even take her? Did they explain? 
Well, okay. They thought that she got bit by Spike and therefore was going to be turned. So they wanted to take her in. But that doesn't make sense because they activated the chip. Which they know that Spike can't bite her. So, so there is just the heck? plot holes all oh, over the place for this. They really were just kind of throwing stuff together this episode. Yeah, yeah. they really were. It was, it was pretty bad. Especially the fact that like you do see Spike and they're hitting people, punching people, throwing Willow. Like if it's going to be consistent, like let's Well, this let's whole fight thing on. didn't quite make sense to me either because it's like Riley's supposed to not see – Buffy because there's like fog everywhere from the extinguisher. But yeah, Buffy's like speaking and then they think it's a boy. Yeah. Like, huh? <laughs> they can't see Buffy. They hear something. I mean, I think we're supposed to see it. I don't know. Whatever. It it was very much a ploy of we don't want them to know each other's secret identities yeah. well, yet. So we gotta find yeah. a way to like keep them both out of it. But yes, it was yep. there was a lot going on that it probably made it harder that they had to go back and recut things to make it that Spike wasn't actually like hitting people as much. Sure. But, but still, like yeah. there's just a lot of small things that rewatching it. I was like, oh shoot. Yeah. Um Spike escapes and then the boys abort and then back in the initiative, Walsh is obviously very upset. Um they think it's a man for some reason or a thing to like whatever it was. There was a scene that was cut out. So as soon as Buffy is supposed to um, ignite the flare gun and then it goes bouncing around the wall, they were supposed to cut back to Giles and Xander standing out in the yard waiting for the flare gun to go off. Oh, why did they leave this in? Those things could have been two seconds. Yeah. They could have just been yeah. them sitting in like the middle of like a graveyard and then just staring at nothing. That could have been so yep. funny. Dang just it. waiting. Um, and this part too, like I kept thinking about it and I was like, how the heck would they even – they're like, oh, the implant works, uh, Professor Welsh or what, whatever her name is, Agent Welsh on House 17. <laughs> like how would you know that? You guys were just fighting. Well, it probably worked because maybe they found out that Willow didn't actually get bit. Maybe it worked because Spike wasn't actually able to fight back. Or maybe they have some sort of computerized way of seeing that it's activated. I don't know. But they didn't though because they Buffy really don't describe Willow it at like all. the dorm. Yeah, so they didn't see I always Willow thought it was escape. more of like intent. Like if you intend to hurt someone, then it goes off. Yeah, that's how it's described later on. But here now I would understand, like, people would be very confused first watching this episode and being like, how does this chip even work? It seems very inconsistent. Exactly. Well, and they just keep saying implant. And so we don't really know quite what it is yet. Well, it says Hostile 17 can't hurt any living creature in any way without intense neurological pain. (laughs) So that includes hitting, throwing, punching, all that stuff. And then the last scene, um, Riley sees Buffy walking. I – okay. She's never in yellow. And I was like, why? Why is she never in yellow? She looks beautiful. SMG can pull off pretty much any color. I know, honestly. She could literally be wearing a paper bag and I'd be like, she looks so good in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But like the little like like skirt with the boots and then like a little yellow tank. I was like, so cute. And her hair looks so shiny. I was like, she's so pretty. Season four, she's just extra beautiful. Yeah. He apologizes for last night. She says she likes being alone sometimes, and he agrees, um, but to be careful by herself because there's a lot of strange people out there. He asks about Willow, and you can tell the Buffy like really appreciates that he's asking about Willow. I feel like that's a good like in with Buffy. Like mm-hmm. if you're well, and he with knows Willow, he knows that Willow will back him, so totally. he's like, "How's Willow?" Totally. Uh-huh. I mean, but like you could tell that he generally is asking about Willow too. Like you could tell, uh, but yeah. also we don't we know that <laughs> I feel like um. 
Phoebe and friends, they don't know that we know that they know or whatever. Um, yeah. No, but we know that he's in the initiative and that he knows that like Willow was bitten or almost bitten by yeah. Spike. Right. And then we also know that Buffy knows that as well, but doesn't know that he's in the initiative. So it's like, it's kind of one of those fun situations. You're like, I know that they don't know that we know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he tells her that he went into the dorm to ask Willow for a quote unquote project. And she asks how that's working out for him. And he's like, I don't know yet. The script says that, um, or well, Buffy says, is there something like at the party you want to talk to me about? And he says, oh, yes, very important stuff. Interesting, a little edgy, daring views on, I don't remember any of it now, but you would have been fascinated, possibly very moved. And then, you know, talks about cheese. And the script says, Buffy stops, looks at Riley like she's seeing him for the first time. You're a little peculiar. And then it says, Riley smiles. He knows what that means. <laughs> I can that's live like, with that. That's actually sweet. Like the parallels between like both of them being like a little outside the box i mean obviously you have the like actual parallels of both of them living like a double life fighting you know demons and all that but like on a different sense it's like both of them kind of have that awkward like sweetness to them but i definitely got that vibe that like she definitely saw him very differently in that moment um and you know what i think made her realize that honestly is his care for willow Totally. I think she saw how he cared for Willow, and I think that's what made her see something. It would a be for me too. More. If yeah. like somebody for really sure. loved and like someone who I thought was at the very bare minimum attractive, yeah. um, started showing a lot of like care and genuine like concern for somebody I loved, that would make me start to have feelings for sure. Yeah. But I think like even the, like the metaphor here of like you're a little peculiar. Both of them see something different in the other person. They don't know what it is yet, but we know it's the fact that both of them have that double life. So that's an immediate commonality that they have. And so it's like almost like they sense something different about each other more yeah. than just or just like know, the mystery the of the surface. person. It's like I felt like I yeah. had a handle on you and now I have no idea. And so that's very enticing. Yeah. Yeah, you have layers. So I don't know. I, I thought it was cute. I think Riley was I, I like him. I know a lot of people. I think don't, that but I this like episode improved him the most for me. Like yeah. the previous yeah. ones felt like a very like Ken doll vibe. Like whereas like this one just it, he was just like a little bit more awkward and like more human. And I mm-hmm. liked that. He was yeah. very endearing. Yeah, it makes him feel more like an actual character. I agree. So yeah, you know, the episode was not as bad once we went and like talked about it. I think I changed a little bit of my views on some things, but yeah, I'm excited for the next episode because it is going to be Pangs and we have a special guest with us and it is the actual first crossover with Buffy and Angel and I am just so excited to talk about that. That's going to be so fun. Yeah, I mean, it kicks off probably one of my favorite arcs of season four. So I'm excited to talk about it. All right, guys, that was the initiative. Let us know your thoughts, you guys. Uh, Do you like Riley? Do you think Riley and Buffy's relationship was developed organically? What do you think of the initiative? Uh, What are your thoughts on Spike and the chip, especially that scene between Spike and Willow? You can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you get the chance. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.